morning and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. This is where we talk about all the issues that affect a pregnant woman and how it relates to how she does with the pregnancy, including becoming very sick during pregnancy or dying from pregnancy and pregnancy-related complications, and how to mitigate all these risks. My name is Dr. Bola Sagadi. I am a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. I'm a family physician, a minimally invasive robotic gynecologic surgeon, a proponent for natural childbirths, and an empathetic investigator of the reasons of maternal mortality and severe morbidity, especially as it relates to minority women. I am fortunate to have with me today Dr. Obi Emeruli. He is a cardiologist in the Middle Georgia area, and he's the medical director of Georgia Heart Physicians and the chairman of cardiology at Atrium Navicent Health Systems. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Emeroli. Oh, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. We're happy to have you because you are a heart disease specialist, and there are about 4 million pregnancies in the United States every year. And 1% to 4% of those pregnancies are complicated by cardiovascular disease. Also, there seems to be a higher portion of minority women affected by cardiovascular disease in pregnancy. Could you please speak to some of the factors that contribute to the fact that more minority women are affected by cardiovascular diseases in pregnancy? Yes, thank you very much. A lot of it actually starts before pregnancy. So we have to look at the, the prevalence of risk factors for heart disease in women before they become pregnant. So the, the conditions predisposed to heart disease include uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity and being overweight, sedentary lifestyle, cigarette smoking, high cholesterol. Now, there's also family history, which is genetic, which we can't affect. Mm. Now, there are people who are born with heart disease, so there is congenital heart disease. But really, in approaching heart disease with, in pregnancy, one of the first things is to assess the health of the woman before they become pregnant identify risk factors for heart disease that can be modified and then try as much as possible to mitigate those risk factors. So we encourage people to know their blood pressure, get it under control if it is high, to know their blood glucose, make sure it is under control, to try and lose weight if they're overweight, maintain a healthy weights, basically encourage an active lifestyle and a healthy diet, avoid cigarette smoking and control your cholesterol. So we identify the things that are modifiable and work to modify them. Family history is something we really can't do much about, but if we do know there is a family history of heart disease, then we encourage those individuals to get evaluated early and take appropriate care to mitigate the risk. There is this special population of people with 
congenital heart disease. Usually, if they live to be childbearing age, it means that either it was corrected or the disease was not that severe. And at the time they are thinking about getting pregnant, they do need a special evaluation. Yes, so a lot more of the minority women are dying from preventable cardiovascular issues affecting pregnancy. Why is it? And I know there are three systems involved, you know, the patient, the healthcare provider of the patient, the family physician, the OBGYN, the midwife, and also the health systems, the hospitals. Why is it that there are more minority women dying from cardiac-related issues in pregnancy? It's a complex thing, but yeah, there is an interplay of socioeconomic factors and patient-related healthcare factors. Mm -hmm. So if we have a greater prevalence of risk factors for cardiovascular disease, then we have inadequate access to care, barriers to healthcare, Mm -hmm. and then within the healthcare system itself, there are implicit and explicit biases that contribute to recognizing and treating the problems aggressively and appropriately. So part of what we have to do to mitigate these problems is to become advocates for our patients. Also, basically, there are things that we as healthcare providers need to do better in terms of listening to the patients, recognizing the problems, initiating appropriate treatment early, referring them to higher levels of care when we are not able to provide the care. There are things that the patients have to do and we probably have to educate them better in terms of preventive care even before they become pregnant. Like I said, controlling the weight, controlling high blood pressure, controlling diabetes, avoiding cigarette smoking, recognizing symptoms, seeking care early. Now, there are socioeconomic barriers. There are people who are uninsured and basically can't afford to see the doctor or can't afford to buy their medications. And this is where we have to advocate for universal health care, expansion of Medicaid. What happens now is that a lot of people don't have access to care until they become pregnant. And then they get into the health system once they are pregnant. Well, by then it's already too late. If they don't have a blood pressure under control, if they don't have blood sugar under control, they are at higher risk during that pregnancy. So in terms of addressing these excessive maternal morbidity and mortality in the African-American community, education is going to be very important. Education advocacy We have to educate our patients, we have to educate our physicians, we have to advocate within the healthcare system. Then we have to look at what we can do as a community by ourselves to basically give our mothers a better chance. So I would say the most modifiable things are controlling blood pressure, controlling diabetes, losing weight, maintaining a healthy lifestyle even 
becoming pregnant. Also understanding that becoming pregnant later in life confers a higher risk, especially after the age of 40. And as we educate the patients, educate the physicians and other healthcare providers, advocate for expanded access to care and cultural competencies within the healthcare system, we also then have to look at what our own institutions within the community can do. It may be that some of our churches, some of our social organizations, some of our professional bodies can come together and work on programs that will help address some of these disparities. Thank you. You talked on so many issues. And one of the things I want to speak to is the patient factor, listening to the patient. There are several studies out there that show that if the patient had been taken seriously with their complaints, especially the minority patients, when they presented to either the physician or to the hospital triage systems, if there had not been overt racism or implicit or explicit bias in triaging and managing them, that their outcomes could have been different. So we want the patients definitely, like you said, to have a voice and for them to be listened to, you know, regardless of their minority status, to be listened to and, and their symptoms taken seriously because this might ultimately affect their outcome. So that's one of the things you spoke to. Another thing that I want you to speak to is that the symptoms of heart disease in pregnancy you know, as an OBGYN, some of the symptoms of normal pregnancy could mimic heart disease in pregnancy. Number one, what are some of these symptoms that cross over? And then what are the indicators to the woman that this might not be normal and I should be talking to my healthcare provider? Okay. The most common symptoms of heart disease include chest discomfort, shortness of breath, palpitations or fluttering of the heart, dizziness and blackout spells, and then um, leg edema or swelling. Now, a lot of these symptoms occur to a milder degree even in in normal pregnancies, and, and that is part of the problem with making a diagnosis of heart disease in pregnancy. And so... We tell people to pay attention to their bodies and we tell healthcare providers to listen to what the patients are saying and take them seriously at at all times. It's actually easier when the woman has been pregnant before. So you can always ask, well, how does this, what you're feeling now compare to how you felt the last time. Is it worse than what you felt before? In that case, the woman has an idea of what is normal for her. But basically, if somebody is getting tired more easily, if they are getting short of breath more easily, if they are having chest discomfort, which they did not previously have, if they have the feeling that their heart is beating too fast, they are having palpitations, if they are feeling dizzy or feeling faint or having actual blackout spells if they are having a lot of leg swelling and you can basically see pitting edema on their feet. Um, Those are things that should cause them to seek medical attention. And we will 
recommend that the healthcare providers also should have a low threshold for referring them to the cardiologist or another specialist to take a better look and maybe get some additional tests to find out what's going on. This is great. So assuming the healthcare provider you know, listens to the patients and makes a diagnosis that requires referral, or even a more attentive healthcare provider that talks to a pregnant woman that is planning to get pregnant and notices some of these symptoms of cardiac disease and sends the patient even before pregnancy to someone like you, a heart disease specialist, what are some of the things you would do so that we can know what is going on with the patient? Okay. The first thing we do is to take a good history, find out what the symptoms are, how long they've been going on, whether the person is on any medications, whether there is any family history of heart disease, whether there was any heart disease in childhood. So all of this will help us in making a diagnosis. Then we'll do a thorough physical examination. After that, we may order some investigations. We may order some additional tests. An electrocardiogram is one of the most common tests that we do. Is a graphic recording of the electrical activity of the heart. Sometimes we do an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart, and it shows us the chambers of the heart. We get to see the heart muscle. We get to see how it is pumping, how it is contracting. We get to look at the valves to see if they are opening and closing normally as they should be. Every now and then we may order an ambulatory electrocardiogram where we give the person a monitor that records the rhythm of the heart, the electrical activity of the heart over a period of 24 to 48 hours or even longer, maybe for a month. And there is also the special population of patients who had congenital heart disease. They were born with certain abnormalities or they've had heart surgery. They've had valves already, even before adulthood or before getting pregnant. And those ones may need some more extra care or attention. Then depending on on what we find from the history, from the physical examination, from the investigations, we can then plan on care after making a diagnosis. And sometimes it's medications. Sometimes we make recommendations about the type of delivery and the type of care the person should get after delivery. In extremely rare circumstances, we may find conditions that make a pregnancy extremely risky for the mother. So we are talking to Dr. Obi Emerole. He is a cardiologist, a heart disease specialist. He is the medical director of Georgia Heart Physicians and the chairman of the Division of Cardiology at Atrium Navicent Health Systems. We are fortunate to have him with us. Dr. Emerole, you started speaking to some conditions in which it sounds like pregnancy is contraindicated. So I want you to speak to some of the conditions in which if you have this condition as a woman and you were fortunate enough maybe to talk to your family physician or your OBGYN before you got pregnant, 
what are some of these conditions that you absolutely must not be pregnant and have these conditions at the same time? That is, they could kill you as a woman. One of them is a severe pulmonary hypertension. Basically, it's a condition in which the pressure in the arteries leading to the lungs is uh, very high. Sometimes it causes as a result of uh, severe uncorrected heart disease in some people with uh, severe congenital heart disease. Sometimes it occurs because of severe lung disease or severe disease in other organs like connective tissue diseases. Sometimes we just don't know the, the exact etiology, but it's a condition in which pregnancy becomes extremely risky for the mother. And as physicians, we always prioritize the life of the mother. And basically, we, we encourage physicians and their patients to have discussions about these conditions and take appropriate action to prevent pregnancy in the first place. And so severe pulmonary hypertension, that is high blood pressure in the vessels of the lungs, if you have that condition, that can be very dangerous for a woman to be pregnant and have that condition at the same time. Yes. Okay. And you did talk about severe congenital heart disease, like if you were born with some heart conditions and now you are a woman in the reproductive age, certain heart conditions can be dangerous to the mom for pregnancy. Yes, yes, yes. There are a lot of severe congenital diseases that we are previously not compatible with life, but with the advances in in healthcare over the last 50 years many of these patients are beginning to live with adulthood there are those whose conditions are corrected and the risk of pregnancy begins to approach that of people who didn't have congenital disease but there are many people who are basically adults with congenital heart disease and they pose special problems, they probably need to be under the care of an adult congenital heart disease specialist who basically will advise them about the risks associated with pregnancy under this condition. So essentially what happens is that pregnancy is a stressor of the heart. There's a increase in cardiac output, increase in blood volume and Basically, during labor and delivery, there are further increases. And so people with pre-existing cardiac problems end up being at much greater risk. So I'm glad you spoke to some of the changes that we see with pregnancy, you know, just some of the changes in the blood volume of a woman. So the amount of blood in the system goes up, the volume goes up and the heart rate goes up. Yes. And um, so these are some of what we call the physiologic, the normal changes because of pregnancy. And then with heart disease, will these conditions be exaggerated in any way? Sometimes it is exaggerated. Sometimes, even if it's not exaggerated, what happens is that the abnormal heart is not able to handle it. In other words, increases in blood volume and heart rates that can be tolerated by the normal heart 
are more difficult for the heart that is already abnormal to handle. So you talked about some tests that you would do for the pregnant woman in trying to get a diagnosis. What are some of the tests that you would do in a non-pregnant woman that you couldn't do because of the pregnancy and yet you still have to come to a diagnosis? There are some more invasive procedures especially the ones that require a lot of radiation. Cardiac catheterization is one of them. It's a test in which we take the pregnant woman to a laboratory and insert catheters uh, through the arteries to look at the heart, inject dye, measure pressures, and all of this is done under X-ray guidance. There are what we call uh, electrophysiologic uh, studies for people having had arrhythmias where we try to study the electrical activity of the heart, but we're also using a lot of radiation. So we would prefer to avoid doing a lot of these when the woman is pregnant because of the risk of radiation to the baby. However, I mean, like I said, it's all relative. Um, the life of the mother is, is always uh, more important. And if we need to save the life of the mother, we will do it. But if we can avoid doing the more invasive procedures, especially the ones that require a lot of radiation during pregnancy, that would be our preference. So once we've made a diagnosis, I know as an obstetrician, some of the things that I see is a pregnant woman with very elevated blood pressures. And there is a condition we call preeclampsia, but at times it's not even preeclampsia. She just has what we call chronic hypertension. She's had the high blood pressure before she was 20 weeks pregnant or before she was pregnant at all. And the blood pressure just becomes not so well controlled as the pregnancy advances. Are there certain medications or measures? I know we, we, there are measures like continuing to maintain a healthy diet, exercise. And in addition to that, are there some other measures that you would recommend as a cardiologist for a woman that her blood pressure just keeps going up higher and higher in pregnancy and it's not preeclampsia? Yeah, we have to look at adjusting the medications. So there are certain medications that are probably not safe in pregnancy for the fetus, and there are some that we have a little more experience with in pregnant women. So labetalol is one of the more commonly used blood pressure medications. Um, Nifedipine is also used. So yes, we have to now look at which blood pressure medications are better tolerated by the mother and the baby and then try to optimize the dosage of those medications and sometimes involve the maternal, fetal, child expert in management of the mother. Because what can happen if the blood pressure just keeps going up and is not controlled in, in, in the mom, in the pregnant mom? What could happen? Oh, I mean, it, it puts the mother at risk. I mean, you're at risk for heart failure, you're at risk for stroke, at risk for cardiac arrest down the road. also puts the baby at risk. So it's, it's extremely important to control the blood pressure before, during, and after pregnancy. Yeah. 
you know, a lot of women are having their babies later in life because women are, you know, pursuing their careers or education or for whatever reason, a lot of women are choosing to start a family, have a baby later in life. Also, as women get older, they're at increased risk for cardiovascular diseases. You know, I can't just imagine a pregnant woman having a heart attack, but it does happen, you know, about eight out of the 100,000 women in the pregnancy and postpartum period can actually have a heart attack in pregnancy. I mean, you know, how do you make that diagnosis? How quickly do you move? What do you do if you have a pregnant woman with an actual heart attack? Well, the diagnosis is made same way as it's made in a non-pregnant woman, history, electrocardiogram, blood work, and um, it's an emergency. If we have to, we'll take the person to the cath lab to do an angiogram, open up the arteries if we have to in that extreme emergency. So if there's a heart attack, if there's a cardiac arrest, the life of the mother will take priority. Now we'll have to involve the obstetrician, the maternal and fetal child, experts to make sure that sometimes you may need to deliver the baby urgently. You do what is also in the best interest of the baby, but the life of the mother will take priority. And so apart from a heart attack, a pregnant woman can also have heart failure in pregnancy. So can you maybe tell us the difference between the two and how does the diagnosis and management differ? 